If I were to ask you, why did God create Adam? You might give me a few different answers, because in our minds, we've rearranged the story. We often think that God created the garden for Adam. I mean, he put Adam in charge, didn't he? He let Adam name the animals. He gives Adam and Eve pretty free reign of the place. But if we look at that very first sentence in our reading from Genesis, we learn that God didn't create the garden for Adam. He created Adam for the garden. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. We were created with a purpose to take care of the garden, to nurture it, to help it grow and thrive. The Hebrew word abad means to till, but it also means to serve, to be a slave to. And the word shamar, to keep, can also be translated as to preserve, to protect. God created Adam and Eve to serve and protect the garden. They had one job. But there was a distraction, that serpent, putting ideas in the Eve's head, distracting her, tempting her. And from there on out, from that moment of distraction from God's true purpose for us, from that moment of broken relationship with God, mankind has had a rough go of it. If we jump ahead to our gospel reading for today, we find that Jesus is also facing some distractions. He's just returned from his 40 days in the desert, where he has presumably been focusing on all that God wants him to accomplish during his time in ministry. He's been focusing on his one job. And while Jesus has been out there, he's been fasting, and he is famished. But before he can even grab a snack, he gets whisked off by Satan, who then proceeds to tempt him. Now, he doesn't really tempt him, because tempting him would have meant Satan dangling a basket of chocolate croissant in front of Jesus. And that's not what happens. What happens is that Satan wants Jesus to perform a miracle. He wants to distract Jesus from what he should be thinking about and force him instead to perform a miracle that will ease his hunger. You see the difference? Not really a temptation, more of a distraction. And Jesus refuses to be distracted and does what all smart people do in these situations. He quotes scripture. And then Satan whisks him off to another place and another each time distracting Jesus from his intended purpose, which is to take care of the garden, by asking him to use his powers for his own self-interest. We all heard the story just now, and we all know that Jesus does not succumb to Satan's best efforts. Not this time, not ever. Jesus will have this conflict, these similar arguments, with the Jewish leaders, with those scribes and Pharisees, He'll have these arguments with Herod, and even when he is taunted on the cross, Jesus stays true to his purpose. He maintains his focus. He takes care of the garden. He dies for the garden. We are the garden. He dies so that we might live. Jesus' response to Satan is the sign of the true Messiah. He orients himself toward God he maintains his right relationship with God instead of toward the things that God can provide, like food 
or safety or power or life. Just as we have to remember that we are here to take care of the garden, we also have to remember that God is not at our disposal. We don't get to ask, what's in this for me? Nor should we fall into the trap, much like Israel did during their time of trial, of loving the gifts, the manna, the water, more than the giver. We long for those gifts, prosperity, security, power, and many of us imagine that the kingdom of heaven, well, that kingdom, will contain them, provide them for us, because we have lived righteous lives, and certainly such lives will be rewarded. And if we're righteous enough, well, maybe we'll get a little foretaste of the kingdom of of heaven by having some of that prosperity, that security, that power right here, right now. It's tempting, isn't it, to focus on those rewards? But we have the order mixed up. We're looking for the wrong things in the wrong place, and we're distracted from the task that God has set out for us. And because those things that we long for, that prosperity and security, because they're in short supply, we get stressed physically and emotionally, financially, and being stressed makes it very hard to be the people God calls us to be. Being stressed leads us in the direction of asking God to do our job for us, to work miracles in order to solve our problems and satisfy our desires. Each of the three temptations that Jesus faces in, his, in this passage is a contrast of human action and God-like action. To the human problem of hunger, Satan suggests the God-like action of turning stones into bread. But Jesus doesn't use miracles to ease his own hunger. He uses miracles to feed thousands. He doesn't use his God-like powers to save himself from the cross. He uses them to save others. So what do we do when we're hungry? Do we feed others? When we're struggling financially, do we keep on giving? If someone is pushing against us as individuals or as a family or as a church, do we push back or do we respond as Jesus did with love? Jesus remains faithful without any miracles. He shows us in a very human way that it is possible to defeat Satan without any miracles at all. He shows us that when we are in a trusting relationship with God, we don't need miracles to deliver us from the problems in our lives because with God we can get through those hard times. With God we can stay focused and take care of the garden. With God we can do what we were put here to do and if miracles happen, and miracles do indeed happen, they come at a moment of God's choosing, not our own. Now you might be thinking, what about prayer? Am I not allowed to pray for a miracle? I recently heard a joke told by a pilot after a singularly rough patch of turbulence. When the plane was safely on the ground, the pilot came over the loudspeaker and said, welcome to Dallas. I hope you're able to keep all those promises you just made. And we can laugh about it now, but it really is true. We offer those little deals up to God all the time, don't we? Sometimes they were as silly as promising being a better driver if only God will give us some green lights and get us to work on time. 
or promising perfect Sunday church attendance in exchange for that winning touchdown. I remember being on bed dressed with my twins, promising God all manner of things if only he would bring them safely into the world. In our time of need, we forget that God is not a vending machine. Prayers in, miracles out. But note that Jesus did not do in our reading today. He did not pull the God card. He did not perform any miracles. He acted as fully as human, as man. These 40 days of Lent provide an opportunity for us to focus and slow down and reflect and perhaps identify one or two of our temptations. Typically, we would give up maybe sweets or TV or alcohol. And when we find ourselves wanting some of what we are fasting from, we're meant to think about Jesus and all that he gave up for us. And this is all well and good, but for most of us, after Easter comes, or perhaps a good while before Easter comes, we go back to those old habits, those old temptations. We don't make any substantial, lasting changes in our lives. Instead of depriving ourselves of some treat for a few weeks, what about adding something to our day that helps us counter all those distractions? Something that helps us focus. Maybe establish a new habit of prayer, not the vending machine variety, but the kind of prayer that opens up space for you and God to cultivate a stronger relationship. Something you haven't tried before. Maybe Lectio Divina, or daily journaling, or reading one of those Lenten devotionals we have in the back of the church? What about attending our Lenten quiet day, or taking a meditative walk out on the labyrinth? We have beautiful weather here. Get outside, spend 15 minutes in nature, listening to the birds, and listening for God's voice. Give yourself some me time, not a day at the spa or on the golf course, but for introspection and reflection. In fact, how about 40 days of me time? What might change if we take a hard look at what distracts us? What temptations do we face? We need to name them, say them out loud, confess to those sins that we commit day in and day out, and then repent for real, and put those behind us and refocus on the task that God has set for us. Jesus tells Satan to get behind him. We can do much the same thing. We only have one job, after all, to preserve and protect the garden. One job. Now, just how that garden looks to you may be different than how it looks to me, and that is perfectly okay. But staying focused, doing your one job, loving God, loving your neighbor, now is the time to really dial in on that and figure out how staying focused, fighting off distraction, and cultivating that right relationship with God might look in your own life.